And now. And now. It's time for another edition of the Sports and Metal Podcast. We talk hard-hitting sports and bone-crunching metal. Sports and Metal. Because sports and metal go better together. Now here's your host, Jason Voorhees. And Aaron Savage. Oh, yeah! Hello, everybody, and welcome again to another edition of the Sports and Metal Podcast. With me, as always, my partner in crime, Jason Voorhees. And I'm Aaron Savage, and it's a very special show tonight. We have a very special guest. Um, one of the original L.A. metal bands um, from the early days. Had a, had a song on the Metal Massacre 2 comp- uh, compilation in, I believe, 82. Um, founding fathers of metal and the L.A. scene. Please welcome from Armored Saint, Phil Sandoval to the show. Hey, what's up, guys? Hey, Phil, what's going on? What's going on, Phil? Great intro. I love the intro, man. Thank you. And you know what? I realized as it was playing, I don't. I think you're a Rams fan, right? I I, I don't think we had any Rams in there. That's all right. It's all right. Ah. But I mean, I mean, football and metal and just the way it looked, it was like, F yeah. <laughs> Thank you for the kind words, Phil. Anyway, we're happy to have you on the show. How are you, man? Thank you. Very good. Very good. Just rocking and rolling. You know, trying to Awesome. How's everybody doing? I'm doing great. How about you, Jay? Yeah, we're doing great, man. We're, we've been looking forward to this for the you know, last two months. So we are right, psyched. Right. Thanks for being so patient with me. Oh. Yeah, no problem. I mean, I know you guys uh, were recording a video. Would you want to say what the song's going to be? Or? Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's a song called Loon World. Uh, it's going to be uh, uh, like a little bit of a movie kind of thing. And uh, it's a good song. Uh, we're rock and roll it. Which, uh, we're going to do that next week, actually. Awesome, awesome. Yeah, yeah so and uh, everybody those of you that out. haven't picked up the latest record, um, that's from the new Armored Saint album. I know Jay and I are huge fans of it. Uh, the Punching the Sky record. Love the Punching the Sky video. Um, Thank you. Uh, yeah, I, I have to say, Jay and I both agree. I mean, the records you guys have put out in recent years are as good as anything you've ever put out. And, I mean, it's unbelievable. You guys are in top form. Yeah, I think I think we're just trying to reach this level, trying to write songs, you know, and and just like uh, play with play with the songs uh, with choirs and stuff like that, you know. And um, music's a big a big deal to us, and and we love all kinds of music. So we have all, all kinds of little things in there. You can tell it's it's just not it's rock, it's metal, it's rock and roll, you know. So it's a lot of things and everybody really brought it you know and john sounds amazing and everybody just is rocking that album really good yeah unbelievable (laughs) absolutely definitely pick it up punching the sky armored scene yeah i mean i i mean as you know i i actually ranked it the top album of 2020 in my uh, for philly rock radio and there was quite a few uh, publications that had that album ranked as the number one metal album, and rightfully so. I mean, from top to bottom, I mean, there's not a single you know track on there that I wouldn't listen to. Uh, matter of fact, I still listen to the album every day, at least a couple songs. That's how good it is. And that, to me, is a sign of a true, great album. 
Yeah, and when you listen to it with the headphones, you also get to pick up a couple of things that you you don't normally hear. There's a lot of things in that album, so um, I, I listen to it too. I, I love it. Yeah, I mean, you guys, like like I said, uh, for those that don't listen to Armored Saint, you guys are criminally underrated. You always have been. You're one of the hardest working bands I've ever seen. I mean, you guys, you, you could just tell that you guys put a lot of time and effort into all your, you know, material. And it definitely showed on this album. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, it was a new level. I think we had to bring it after uh, Wind Hands Down. You know, that was a good album, too. But I think this album kind of elevated in just... Uh, melody and just uh, everything you know uh, and i always try to learn new things on guitar and stuff uh, i'm a student of the guitar and uh, i'll always be learning new new things so that's kind of like where i'm at with that so um everybody just bought it and you know it was the COVID thing you know we had to release it then you know but um things are gonna be looking up because uh you know it's gonna be uh you know, tours are going to be happening and things like that. So look out for Armored Saint. Yeah, I, I hope so, man. I, I really can't wait to see you guys out on the road again. Yeah. Yep. And, and to your point, I mean, all of all of your recent records have definitely been, in my opinion, more experimental, um, so much more diverse. La Raza comes to mind. Um, yeah. Where were your heads at on that record? I think that's probably your most eclectic collection of songs. Yeah, I think – yeah, yeah. Well, John and Joey wrote a lot of the songs there, so it was uh, a lot of their input and stuff, and me and Jeff kind of came in and we just did our guitar stuff. But um, I think uh, John and Joey are, are the, you know, Lennon McCartney of the band, and, and um, we're, they just have a connection that cannot be uh, messed, messed with, and, and it's, it's a very natural thing, the way we record and uh, the way it's happened with Armored Saints. That leads me to a great question. You co-wrote Can You Deliver from March of the Saint, which was your first yeah. big hit, MTV right. video. Um, were there any songs on the new record that you wrote? Yeah, I have um, a riff, uh, End of the Attention Span. Um, that was my riff. I wrote that in Croatia uh, at a rehearsal. And um, and John, I played that at... at, at um, when we were gonna play, and John goes, "What's that?" And I go, "It's it's a riff I came up with. Says, I like that." And then that ended up being on the album. Also, unfair. I got a lyric in there. Um, I showed it to John. I go, "Everything's like once upon a once upon a time, but now it's like once upon a minute." You know? And he goes, "Oh, I like that." And, and, and that made it onto the uh, the song "Unfair." And also, uh, do wrong to none. Me and my brother came up with the, the main lyric to that. Um, so yeah, I, I was glad and honored to be uh, part of the writing process on the record with three three credits um, on the album. So I'm honored to be part of that. Awesome. That that leads me to a question. Let's go back into the band's history a little bit. Um, you and your brother Gonzo, you guys founded the band with Dave Pritchard, correct? The late great Correct. Dave Pritchard. Yeah, Gonzo actually, Gonzo actually introduced me to Dave Pritchard. So Gonzo had a lot to do. He also introduced me to John and Joey. So actually, Gonzo had a lot to do with with everything. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But that that leads me to a, a question. I have to I have to ask. You did leave the band um, during the recording of Delirious Nomad. How come? 
Yeah, well, I was kind of had to get my thing together and stuff like that, but it's all happy ending because they I got asked to be back in the band. So um, it, it's kind of a thing I went through in dark days and stuff uh, a couple of times, but you know, um, life comes around and uh, you gotta get your shit together, and that's kind of like what I had to do and I did. So I, happy ending is that I'm, I'm a fan now, and and uh, that's it, you know. There's That's a light awesome. at the end of the tunnel. That's awesome. And then that, that does lead me to a question, and, and it's only because I wasn't even aware um, of this. I didn't realize you had Al, Alan Barlam in the band um, yeah. playing lead guitar in 1989. And I noticed, and I didn't realize either, Eddie Livingston played drums in 8990. Now, obviously, Alan was a temporary guitar fill-in, obviously, when Dave tragically passed before you got Jeff Duncan, correct? Right, right. You, you, yeah, you know your history. <laughs> I'm not sure. I'm not sure about the drumming thing, but um, but yeah, Alan Barlin was in there for a little bit. Yeah, I didn't even know that. That actually, I just did that kind of brushing up on my armored team history for the show. Because I, I I never knew that there was anyone that ever played drums for armored Saint outside of Gonzo. So when I saw Eddie Livingston in the credits, I I, I was like, wow, I didn't know that. I had Wait no idea. Minute. Okay, that that uh, I don't think Gonzo has always been the drummer for the thing. I don't think I think that must be a misprint. Uh, unless okay. you want to talk to my brother right now. Yeah, no, I was just curious. It caught me off guard too. <laughs> so, yeah, cool. Hey, hey, speaking speaking, your brother. How how is it? How does it feel to actually be in a band with a sibling? That's that's got to be the coolest thing in the world that you guys have like. You know, kind of obviously, you already have the bond of being siblings, but then to actually be able to be in a, in a a metal band, and but one step further, a metal band that's that's successful. Like, how does that feel? Because to me, that would be all. I mean, I don't have a brother; I have three sisters. But if I could just imagine, if like me and my sister were in like some type of thing, and that was basically our career. That's would, amazing. That's a great question. Like, how, how does that feel? That is a great question. Uh, here's the thing. I think everybody in Armored Saint kind of are like like brothers. You know, we might live in different places and stuff, but when the band comes together, there is this, you know, other, another word that I, I can't describe it other than, you know, you know, so like John has a brother, Joey has a brother, Jeff Duncan has a brother. I have a brother. The difference between them is that my brother is in the band, you know. And, and you know, and brothers are brothers. You know, we we, we do have our little like differences and stuff like that. So you know, it, it comes out every every once in a while. But the thing is that we always connect. You know, it, uh, the love of the brotherhood of Robert Saint always kind of seems to win. And it's like it's a positive thing, um, and it's it's a beautiful thing actually. And the music brings us together, and we all like respect each other. And you know, John and Joy is great. Jeff is amazing. My brother's amazing. And we all kind of connect, and this is what kind of like brings Armored Saint to be Armored Saint. You know, and uh, we love each other. And not to get all too weird about it, but it, it is a great, it is a great thing. You know. Yeah, I mean, after all these years, you guys are like a family. I, I, I could, you know. Yeah. You know. 
It really is. It really is. I mean, you know, John has said, you know, if, if David Pritchard hadn't passed away, we'd probably be a three, three, three guitars kind of band, you know, because uh, he has said that many times. So kudos to John. So I, I think there is a, a brotherhood, and there's a documentary that's going to be um, that's just been fi um, finished filming by our uh, producer um, director. His name is Russell Charrington. He's a professor of uh, of film in Derbyshire, uh, England, and uh, he did a great, great movie of Armored Saint, the story of Armored Saint, uh, James Hadfield, Lars Ulrich. Um, People uh, in the business that signed us to Chrysler, uh, uh, Bernstein, the Peter Mensch, Key Prime Management, the, the ones that uh, managed Metallica, and they managed us before Metallica. There's a lot of history that people do not know about. We've all been in there, but we we haven't, you know. I'm the greatest success, but we've always been on the cutting edge of it all. And we were there when Metallica uh, toured with Boss and the Mosh Pit hadn't even been invented yet. And yeah. here we are just Metallica just stormed through, through the United States and we're the opening band and we're like, oh my God, <laughs> this yeah. is something special. But we were there too, you know, just like trying to kick us through. These guys from Metallica, they're bringing something new. And uh, so it was a great thrill. Back in 84, when, when um, Smash and Metal and stuff started happening, you know, we were part of that. And uh, we're still here, 2021. You know, we got new stuff coming up. Too. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. That's awesome. Go, going back into the band's history a bit, how did you guys get hooked up with Brian Slagle to get the track on the uh, Metal Massacre 2 album? Oh, that was really early on. Um, I think Bob Nalbandian and, um, and, and Brian Slagle uh, became friends with Joey and John, and uh, we needed to get a, like, a, a track to talk to us about it. And, uh, and um, it was a weird thing because at that time, um, Joey was in, in an accident with Tommy Lee and stuff. I, I don't want to get into too much about that, but but the money that he got from that accident for um, the demo um, that Brian Slagle got, and it ended up being a Metal Massacre, which also happens to have a song by Marty Friedman. Yeah. I don't know. I had to throw that out there. <laughs> Cool, cool. Oh, I guess you saw my Megadeth shirt. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I got, so, I got a story about Megadeth. <laughs> I was, was going to ask you. We, I was I was actually just going to ask you that, but now that you brought it up, why don't you tell us the story uh, with the Dave Mustaine story? Okay, here's what happened. You know, by the way, I have to say, me and Dave are great. You know, he's a great guy. He's incredible. He invented a genre, you know, he basically invented a genre and to be able to play at that level and, and to sing uh, much respect, much respect to uh, Dave Mustaine. But here's what, what happened. Okay. We were all very young. You know, we were partying. We listened to Motorhead in a basement at some party in the valley, uh, Betsy Bitch's house. And um, there was... Uh, 
this was before the marsh pit, so we were just like running around, just dogpiling each other like in football, you know. <laughs> you know what I mean? Just like running around crazy. And um, I I think I accidentally um, pushed Lars, and he fell. You know, but it looked like I did that on purpose, but I didn't really want to do that. It's just, yeah, yeah. Dave Mustaine saw this and he goes, Man, I'm gonna, he goes, I'm gonna get you. And I was like, Oh, okay. <laughs> I didn't think nothing of it, you know. So it came my turn to get dogpiled. There's like, you know, James, you know, a bunch of people around. I would say like maybe like seven or eight guys are on top of me, you know what I mean? And, and I could see in the corner of my eye, Dave Mustaine like running towards the dog pile and he jumps up. He literally jumps up and he lands on my foot, <laughs> you know? And uh, I was like, oh my God. But um, but it wasn't like the way he he wrote it in the book. Like you could hear like, like the crack of a tree breaking and stuff like that. And like, he gave me a roundhouse kick. It was nothing like that. I was on the floor, but um, that's what happened. That's what happens when a bunch of drunken heavy metalers get together and listen to a motorhead like at 12 volume. And, you know, the next day, I think the next day I had a, um, but I wouldn't end, end that story by saying it's all cool. Dave Mustaine later apologized 27 years later with the guitar and he was very uh, reflective and, and stuff like that. And later on, you know, we had dinner at San Bernardino, and we, um, we talked and stuff. It's all good. Um, I want everybody to know that much respect for for both bands, you know. And um, that's how we got the uh, Mega Cruise, you know. He said, hey, you know, I'm going to play with the Mega Cruise. And I said, sure, no problem. And But uh, all is good and stuff. That's uh, my story. I'm sticking to it. <laughs> that, that was a great Dave Mustaine impersonation, Phil. <laughs> by, the, by the way, how metal is this? Dave Mustaine breaks your ankle. That's fucking metal, man. <laughs> There's nothing more metal than that. It's metal. <laughs> you are 100% spot on, man. And, and what a story. I mean, that's just an amazing, it, just to hear it, it, it's like you said. But you you were just, you know, a bunch of young kids and you're having fun and, and now look at you. Like years later, like you just said, you were on the mega yeah. cruise. And speaking of the mega cruise, that's got to. I I can't wait to go when once this COVID is over. I can't wait for the next one because I will go on one. I haven't been on it yet, but I am looking forward to that. And hopefully, you guys are playing. Oh yeah, man! It was a great great time and stuff. The food is amazing. I think I gained ten pounds, man. <laughs> but uh, it, it was a great time for everyone. Really, I swear, it's like. Uh, a metal metal cruise heaven. Awesome. So, so you, so I have to ask. I always heard these stories back in the day. How, um, you know, obviously, you know, Metallica was an LA band before they went up to the Bay Area, and then obviously yeah. ended up in Old Bridge, New Jersey, with Johnny Z. Right. Signed right. on to Megaforce, yada yada. So back in those early LA days, though, you always heard the stories of like, um, you know, Motley Crue, you know, with the high heels and the hair and. And, you know, Metallica, you know, saying, oh, blah, 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 whatever, you guys are pussies, this and that. And then, you know, Nicky and Tommy say, yeah, we'll still kick your ass. You know, you always hear these stories. So were you, were you guys hanging out with, like, the crew guys and stuff? Or or was it, like, really two separate scenes? Well, it was kind of a two separate scenes. It, it kind yeah. of was. And, and even punk rock was a little involved in there a little bit. Um, but um, 
but in Hollywood, uh, there wasn't a lot of band uh, clubs that were taking, you know, these heavy bands on. So a lot of the San Gabriel Valley uh, was accepting, you know, the heavier bands, you know, and stuff like that. So there was more of a Hollywood thing and more of a San Gabriel thing, you know. And, and the San Gabriel thing usually had the heavier band because they didn't want to see all that, the, the craziness in Hollywood. But but um, it was a kind of a, a little bit of a thing like that. But the guys in Molly Crook can kick their, your ass. Those guys are like six feet. <laughs> well, that's the stories dead, you always man. heard. You, so I always heard about like Lars and like maybe James like saying, oh, you guys are pussies and then running away when Tommy and Nikki came after him and saying, well, still kick your ass. <laughs> Yeah, I've always heard those stories, but no, no, sure. no, no, those guys can fight and, and they got into they, they were the real deal. Actually, actually, there was a picture that um, was on a Facebook that you could see me looking at Mick Mars back in 1981 at the Starwood. I think was it was no, it was 79 to 81, I don't know, really early. And I, I was amazed to see me looking at Mick Mars back in the, you know, back at the Starwood. You know, that that was a very important uh, club back in the day. I mean, Van Halen, Quite Riot, all these bands at that club. And we wanted to play that club, but we never got to play it. Absolutely. I mean, it's the stuff of legend and Eddie Nash. <laughs> you know, we oh, all yeah, know Eddie Nash. That's a whole different thing. I get it to yep. the whole Eddie Nash with the Wonderland killing, yep, yep. killing drugs, and, and porn star John Holmes. I mean, Crazy stuff. that's a whole different story, right there, man. Oh, yeah, it's but it's long. stuff of legend. <laughs> it totally awesome. is. It, it all that happened back in that time, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Phil, I have to ask, what were your biggest influences growing up? Growing up was. Everything in the 70s, I mean, back in the 70s, you have Black Sabbath, Led Zeppelin, you know, Elton John, uh, Earth, Wind and Fire, Jim Lizzie, uh, Judas Priest. Um, all those bands influenced the UFO, you know. Um, but the, my main guitar player guy that I gravitated to when I was young was Jimmy Page. You know, sure. Um, I, I'm like a rock blues kind of guy and stuff like that. And, and um, so when when Led Zeppelin came out with, you know, I was like, man, I can't can't believe like Jimmy Page. But then when Eddie Van Halen came out, that's a whole different story. It's like, Game changer. I, I cannot believe. Eddie but I I'm I'm like learning his licks. This is barely learning his licks. That, he played on uh, when he was 21, you know, and I just learned like you know, Jamie's crying the other day, <laughs> you know. Yeah, Eddie was a legend. Yeah, rest in yeah. peace. Yeah, yeah, definitely. All the best, Michael Stanker, you know. So Jeff Beck, all those guys influenced me, and uh, all everybody, Ace Freely. Um, you know, Kiss Alive. I, I heard that when I was in junior high school, and I was like, "What is that? Yeah. <laughs> you know, what is that?" You know, yeah, I, I know you're a huge Kiss fan. I, I, I've seen you post quite a few times about Kiss. Yeah, 
kids. Did you see them live? Did you see them live in makeup when they? Yeah, yeah, the originals. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I started going to concerts back in 1976, 77. I saw Led Zeppelin live at, at the at the uh, Inglewood. Oh my God, I'm jealous. Yeah, yeah, and John, John Bonham and Keith Moon played a, a drum solo together um, on the third night. Uh, I, my first concert was Ben Lizzie opening up for Queen. Wow, yeah. awesome. Yeah, yeah. Aaron's a huge Queen guy. Yeah, huge Queen guy. Yeah, yeah. 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 He's definitely underrated band. <laughs> I, yeah. I, I wouldn't say underrated, but definitely influential. <laughs> so influential, so influential. Yeah, yeah. The tone, the tone that uh, Brian May's guitar makes is, is I, I, I can't even fathom how the hell he gets it, even with the stuff he uses. It's incredible. Yep, I, absolutely. I, I always think of how Joe Elliott from Def Leppard described his uh, his playing at the Concert for Life. Remember the Freddie Mercury Concert for Life yeah, yeah, back yeah. in like '91. That was on my birthday, by the way, April twentieth. Oh, wow. um, but um, I, I just remember when Joe Elliott um, brought Brian May out to play with Def Leppard and they did Tie Your Mother Down. And I remember he, he said, the man with the curly hair and the curly guitar lead. And I, that's the best <laughs> way to describe Brian May's playing, the curly guitar lead. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the curly guitar lead. By the way, happy belated birthday. Thank you, Phil. I appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. So, and, and as far as Eddie goes, like you said, I mean, you're still learning his licks. I mean, when I I can't I'm I'm too young to have experienced like when Van Halen came out and first you know hit the scene I can't imagine like putting that cassette in the stereo and hearing eruption for the first time the only thing I can imagine it must have felt something like the way Marty McFly felt I mean the way George McFly felt when when he went back to 1955 and put the headphones on his dad and he yeah. and he said I have Darth Vader and he and he hit and he hit the play button on the cassette that said Van Halen he, ah! you remember that yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. amazing. Yeah, 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 well, well, when Van Halen was was coming up back in '78, I mean, there was a vibe around here. I mean, everybody talked about uh, this great guitar player and stuff. I never got to see him in the backyard parties, but he lived he lived like maybe like five miles away from us, you know, yeah. uh, same area. But there was always this vibe about Van Halen and stuff. And then um, when that album dropped it was like what the f <laughs> yeah yeah it was like oh my god I, I couldn't believe it i i couldn't believe that he could play better than jimmy page i, I was just floored I, it took me a while it stunned me you know it's like and now i have to have a new guitar hero but i love jimmy page so much how am i gonna leave that <laughs> yeah but, but i had to i had to like you know like like learn learn from him and stuff because uh he did change everything i mean we could talk for hours about eddie van halen i mean Absolutely. but but i would say that i will always be a student his playing and i'm learning stuff even now i mean i'm you know i'm in my late 50s and i'm learning stuff that he did when he was 21. That's amazing. And you're an amazing player, so that speaks volumes. You are. Thank you so much for the kind words. Thank you. Absolutely. I always, you are. You're an amazing player, Phil. Thank yeah, you. I, tell, I tell everybody that I know that either maybe hasn't really heard much of your guys' material, I always say that you're one of the most underrated, you know, guitarists that, you know, in all of metal because 
and and the band as a whole. Like all of you guys are just great musicians. I mean, you, Gonzo, John, Joey, T- uh, Jim, Tim, Jeff. Jeff, Jeff, I'm sorry. Jeff, Jeff Duncan. <laughs> Jim. But you, you guys are just amazing and um, kind of. I guess I guess my next question is. What what age did you realize that you wanted to be a rock star? Um, well, I picked up the guitar a little late. I was like 15, 16. And I, I wouldn't say that. I mean, back then, it was like just the Starwood, but it just really called me, you know. And, and, and that was our main thing. Me and my brothers just wanted to play the Starwood, you know. Yeah. How do we do that? <laughs> How do we do that? It's like you got to have a band, you know what I mean? And then John, John and Joey um, were friends uh, with Gonzo first, you know, because they were they all went to the same. They were. I'm a little older than them. I'm, I'm like a, a year and a half older, so I was in the next grade. And then my brother was with in the grades that John and Joey were, and and I I was used to see my brother with these two other guys, like like the Three Stooges. Man, they used to do all kinds of crazy ass shit. You know what I mean? Uh, throwing car, throwing eggs at cars and like doing just like rambunctious stuff, you know. Uh, but they were always into music, and then I I, I got uh, to know John and Joey, and um, and we always would talk about Kiss and Queen, and and we used to have like fights of like who's a better band and stuff. And um, I wouldn't say fights, but we would have discussions. And and that's how that came about. And then we we uh, ended up uh, doing this battle of the bands in Woodrow Wilson High School. And uh, Rodney Bingerheimer came from KROQ, and he was going, "Oh my God, guess who won the battle of the bands? This band called Armored Saint. I don't even. No, it was Royal Decree. It was called Royal Decree. And he mentioned of uh, the Sandbar Brothers. Hey, maybe they'll be the next Van Halen, but." <laughs> Because we made my brother of brother, our brothers, you know. Sure, of course, guitar, drums, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and, and that's when the, we first heard our, our our name on the radio. It's like, oh wow, Ronnie Bingenheimer was here. What the, f-? you know, that guy was big in, in, in Care ROQ, and what the hell is he doing at Woodrow Wilson High School in El Serino? But he he came and he saw us, and 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 um, that's how things started, you know. I, I have to ask, I mean, we, we've talked about your longevity and how you guys are like a family, you're all brothers. So I have to ask, um, when when John left for Anthrax, what was that like and why was there such a long hiatus? Um, oh, wow. You guys to get back together. Yeah, well, that, that did, that was a little weird, you know, that was a little weird, especially the way it was done, it was done at, at, in Hawaii when we were in front of this elementary school and we were giving, um, uh, what is it, like a jobs, like, you know, like a career, it was a, like a career day, you know, and we were like a rock band and they, they had us and we were all sitting down and stuff like that. And um, this is kind of an intimate thing that I'm going to tell you about. So we're sitting there um, and all of a sudden, um, John blurts out and he says, well, I'm not going to be in this band anymore. I'm going to be moving on to Anthrax. And and it was like, huh? Wow. <laughs> you know, 
So it was a weird thing, you know. Um, and that's where we first heard about it. Sorry, I, I'm just gonna—I'm just being a little open about things. And um, we appreciate it. It was just a really, really strange thing because uh, Symbols Foundation um, was recorded, and um, we were doing tours and stuff like that. And uh, I can remember there was kind of a buzz, and it was the beginning of the '90s, so. So, you know, grunge started and, and it just a lot of things happened and stuff. So then when he left to go join Anthrax, it was like, uh, okay, now what? But then I, I was always into music and stuff like that. And then I went through my thing there. And then the next time that we got together, I was living in San Francisco. I was a bike messenger. And I got a call from John and he said, hey, why don't you... Uh, come over to LA and uh, we're going to do this record called Revelation and um, we want you to uh, play on it and stuff. And, and then I moved back to LA and that's, uh, that's how that's, that, that happened. And um, that was the hiatus there, you know. And, and then uh, he went through things with Anthrax, personal things that I, I'm, I don't know. I'm not aware of, um, but um, that's how that happened. Yeah. So I have to ask, when The Sound of White Noise came out, what, what what did you think of that record? I thought it was great. I, I think it, it's a great record. It's a great album. You know, uh, John's a great singer. You know, he's an amazing singer. Yeah. You know, I, I, I personally like, think it's my favorite Anthrax album. <laughs> yeah, great album. Yeah, great yeah. production. I, I I liked it. Yeah. So are you guys all are you guys all close with the Anthrax guys now? Oh yeah, yeah, they came over. We, um, we did um, we did we did a show at the Gramercy Theater in New York, and they were all there. I mean, uh, Frank Bello and stuff like that. Everything's cool. There's no, we we don't have that kind of weirdness that some bands when when they have like they they put each other down and they do this and and they say things in the press about about each other. It's, we don't do that, you know. But we don't. We try to be cool, you know. And, and, and and sometimes you just gotta let go of things, you know. Uh, there's more things positive about things, so uh, there's no no ill will feeling or anything like that. It's just like you know, we don't rely on on our laurels, you know. It's the next thing. What what's what's gonna happen next and stuff like that. We keep pushing forward, and we keep uh, the positivity growing all the time. It's funny you say that because I, I agree 100%. If I, when I think of Anthrax and when I think of Armored Saint, I think of two bands that are, are like comprised of some of the nicest guys in metal and rock. Like, yeah. I mean, I, nice guys, hardworking guys. And I will say one thing, I, same thing with Anthrax. I actually think, same as with Armored Saint, some of their recent stuff is as good as any of the stuff they've ever put out. You guys are kicking ass. A lot of these bands, I mean, some of the bands from that time period are putting some of the best material they've ever put out now, in my opinion. In my opinion, our, our best, best, it's it's it, it definitely is on par with it. I mean, I put I, I put the new record at the top of your catalog. It might not be the best. I I, I put it right there with Symbol of Salvation. Those two albums, to me, are my personal favorite. But but I do want to mention that the album that I kind of started listening to more recently that I've really gotten into that I think is a hidden gem in your catalog is La Raza. Because I got to be honest with you, that record 
like it's just a phenomenal it's it's a different like it's kind of different for you guys but at the time like the songwriting it's just it's so unique um you know I mean, I, I'm not going to, you know, list all the songs, but obviously the opener, Loose Cannon. I mean, what a, what a, what an opener. I mean, yeah. you're talking about, you know, a song that just gives me goosebumps when I listen to those solos that you guys do, and you know, you kind of, you know, go back and forth with the solos and stuff. And I mean, John, I mean, like I said, these these last three records, even Wind Hands Down, even is really good, and just. You guys are just, I, I feel like you're at your peak now. Like, it's just amazing. And I said that um, to Aaron because I'm, I'm a diehard Striper fan. And, and Striper, same thing. They're putting out some, like, phenomenal material, like stuff that you would never even, like, you know, it, it, it was like, it would be sacrilegious to not say To Hell With The Devil was, like, one of their best albums. But today, I, I put three, their three new albums right at the top of their catalog. And I... I don't know if it's just maybe it's a um, the fact that everybody's maturing as as musicians, but it's just um, whatever you guys are doing, you guys are doing it right because, like I said, um, I know Aaron, you know, thinks the same about La Raza. I mean, uh, I, I guess I'm curious, what was there something different that you guys were going through? Like, I know a lot of your material, you kind of, you know, you write how you feel. And was there something maybe going on with the band that kind of, you know, I'm just curious. Yeah, there's, there was things going on with the band, um, personal things and stuff. And John was going through something with Anthrax at that time too, in a way. And um, uh, that's, that's his deal and stuff like that. But um, the thought process, I guess, was to make a different kind of album because Rev, um, uh, the, the previous album, uh, Revelation was more on the heavier side, you know, mm -hmm. and stuff. And and I think John and Joey wanted to explore other uh, avenues. And since John, I guess, was in Anthrax, and that was like a heavy thing, you know, and stuff. So maybe he didn't want to do such a thing like he did in Anthrax because he already did it in Anthrax. So let me do something different in Ar Armored Saint, you know. And, I can and see that. That, that's why La Raza has a different tinge of the different thing. And um, and so does Wind Hands Down and um, Punching the Sky also has a, a different thing. And we keep like trying to elevate the 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 spectrum of of uh, uh, of Armored Saint in, in uh, a lot of things, you know, the perspective, you know, uh, of cultural, like um like the um and of the attention span uh, deals with uh, technology, you know, and how it has affected uh, the whole uh, culture, everyone, and the whole world Absolutely. and stuff. So we're trying to touch onto different aspects of it. And um, Lone Wolf is a song of, of uh, personal um, endeavors, you know, and stuff. Um, it's things that people have to go through. And, and um, that's going to be our next video. But I think... Um, I think there was something in the water back then with La Raza, and I think uh, John and Joey just uh, hit it on the nail with that. Well, where do you rank the record in your catalog? I mean, is it one of your favorites or not? No. La Raza. Uh, La Raza? La Raza is just an interesting – it's very interesting. I would say it's it's one of our uh, good records, you know what I mean? Uh, I think Symbol of Salvation, Punching the Sky, um, March of the Saint, you know, those are uh, – 
part of where I was involved a lot in, and and, and those are special records. And, and La Raza is is a, a record that John and Joey kind of like wrote uh, on their own in, in a way. And and it's still a great record. I'm not saying nothing wrong about that. <laughs> so don't, don't don't say anything about it. But so it's all it's all like a, an elevation and kind of like a, a, a moving forward. You know, I would say that. Sure, sure. Yeah. So anyway, hey, the, uh, why don't we get into the sports? Uh, I was just going to say the show is called Sports and Metal. So okay. So let's right. go. So so tell us um. What's I I know you mentioned to us you're into UFC. Yeah, yeah. Like Chuck Liddell, Randy Couture, Tito Ortiz, that that whole uh, that's when I started getting get into the UFC and I was uh, those were like the my favorites, you know. And um there's I mean Chuck Liddell, come on, you know what I mean? He's one of, of the course. best. Yeah. Of course. So so what other sports are you into also? Well, I'm a, I'm a Rams fan, you know, but it, I, I used to like um, watch the films in the 70s where uh, the voice of uh, football, the guy uh, John Facenda used to uh, do the football films, like Larry Zonka from the Miami Dolphins, and they used to slow down the, the, the film and his voice, and I was like, whoa, you know, so they kind of made like football artistic in a way. And, and that's how I got into football. And, and and me and my brother used to uh pretend like we were in football and, and slow down our, our, our steps and tackle each other and stuff. But um that's how I got into like um, uh, watching football and stuff like that. But um the Rams obviously left for a while of St. Louis. Were you still a Rams fan then? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, cool. Yeah, I was a fan Rams fan then. Yeah. I'm a diehard Dolphins fan, speaking of Larry Zonka. So are you a Dodgers fan as well? Yeah, I'm a Dodgers fan. Well, I live in LA. I mean, come on, Dodgers, Lakers are the champions. So right now, LA's doing pretty good with that, you know, and, and stuff. So. I'm envious, I have to admit. <laughs> I'm a, I'm a long-suffering Mets fan. <laughs> wow, my my son is a is a New York uh, Mets fan too. Oh, tell him yeah. I said hey. <laughs> yeah. If you guys are ever out in the East Coast, I'll take him to a game. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he loves the East Coast. Yeah, definitely. Awesome. awesome. What were you gonna say, Jay? I'm sorry. I was gonna say, uh, is your does your brother like sports too, or he's not as much into it as you? Oh. No, well, he. I think he's a, a little more into it than me, you know. He, oh, okay. He, uh, uh, John, John Bush is like, dude. J John knows all his sports. Like, he's dialed in. He gets the paper. He looks at the sports page. He like reads the sports page. When we're on tour, he cannot go without his newspaper. <laughs> he will walk. He will walk ten miles in the morning to get his freaking newspaper. <laughs> That's how wow. I am. That I was like that when I was a little kid. I remember going on a seventh grade trip with my French class to Montreal. No. And one of the things we did, I mean, this would never happen today in today's world. But believe it or not, it, I, I, I stand corrected. It was eighth grade. It was our eighth, eighth grade graduation trip to, you know, from junior high and I, with our French class. They took us for a week to Canada. Could you imagine eighth graders going 
with school to Canada for a week now? No way. And we actually had like five kids per hotel room. Unfathomable wow. now. So yeah, anyway, right. I remember every day that I was there, I had to go get the newspaper. And I was in eighth grade because I needed to get the Mets box score. And it was in French. <laughs> so I, was like, I was so mad. But it, we actually, it was really cool. We actually went to a Mets Expos game at Olympic Stadium. This was 1988. So this is when the Mets were really good. When they had Daryl Strawberry, Dwight Gooden, you know, all those guys. And we actually yeah. went to a game in Montreal with our eighth grade French class. I mean, that's awesome for me. That's a great yeah. memory that I have. So, but I'm just like John Bush. I have to go get my paper every morning to this day. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. great about him. He, he you know, um, you know, Mike Piazza. Mike Piazza's a, a big Armored Saint fan. He lives he in Florida. He lives in Florida. He came when we were playing there with Queens. Like, he he was like knocking on the door on our bus, and of course it's Mike Piazza. We're gonna let him in. He came in. We were talking. He's a great guy, man. He's he's a, so so. We took pictures with him and stuff like that. So I now, like I'm a that. huge Piazza fan. Obviously, as a Mets fan, you as a Dodgers fan, we both love Piazza. And he's right. a metalhead. Right. I remember when I used to go to Shea Stadium to watch the Mets, and I'd get there early to watch Piazza take batting practice, and he mm. always had metal music on during his BP. And in particular, I remember he always was playing the Def Leppard High and Dry album. Like, he'd be doing batting practice. He'd hear, like, you know, let it rock, let it go, and he's hitting bombs. <laughs> He's always high and dry. He always had that record playing. That's BK. crazy. That's awesome. Yeah, so I'm, I'm hoping to get Piazza on the show. <laughs> oh, he's a, he would be a great show, man. He would be a great, great person to talk to. Yeah, absolutely. I, and I'm a huge fan, so. He's putting a good word for us. Yeah. yeah we just had Mark Ternillo from Accept uh, a couple weeks ago on the show, and he was talking about getting Piazza on here. <laughs> oh, wow. so, yeah, yeah. We're That's hoping. Cool. We're hoping. Right hey, on. Uh, yeah, I had I had another question. I, I was I was thinking, um, what your uh, what's your favorite? Not to get off back to the music subject, but just real quick, I was thinking, who's your favorite new band? Like, if you had to pick a metal band today, like when I say new, I mean maybe like after like two thousand, so like Avenged Sevenfold, Bull for My Valentine, those kind of bands. Who would you say is the best new band, new metal band? Gojira comes to mind. They're from France. Um, they opened up for Metallica. They have a lot of Metallica in them, and they have a lot of Meshuggah in them. Um, it's, Meshuggah is one of my favorite bands. Uh, I, I wouldn't say that they're recent, but but I think uh, Gojira is a band that I, I, I've listened to, it and I, I go, man, these guys are good. Yeah, so yeah. I, I, I like that. Yeah, I heard Meshuggah. I actually, they actually did a, uh, they were on that Alice in Chains special uh, a little bit while back. Uh, over the during the COVID, they had that Alice in Chains uh, tribute. I don't know if you saw it on. Um, yeah. What was that on YouTube, Aaron? Yeah, it was like they they were inducted into the Seattle Music Hall of Fame. Yeah. Yeah. Was, are you an Alice in Chains fan? Of course. Are you kidding yeah. me? We saw them at the Fourteen Gardens when they first played in L.A. And I, we were like, what? I mean, it was like, like the drummer has a lot to do with the groups. But um, but uh, Lane Stanley, he's an Armored Saints fan. He's an Armored Saints fan. He came to, um, he came to Mexico uh, to see, see us play. And, um, you know, I walked up to him and I'm going, 
the hell are you doing here, dude? And he goes, to see Arbert Saint. And I went, really? And I went, he goes, yeah. And I went, fuck. And then I took a picture with him and, and John Boyd. Um, but I was honored. I was like floored that he he liked Armored Saint. You know, yeah, that's awesome. I, I'm a big Allison Chains fan. Um, you know, yeah, yeah. And, and Mike Inez is a good friend. Um, so yeah, Allison Chains, man. Amazing, I amazing. I love them. They're, they're, to me, they're equal. I mean, they always got lumped in with grunge, but they're to me, they're a metal band. You know. Yeah. Let's not forget, Mike Inez wrote that legendary bass line for "No More Tears." Yeah. <laughs> if you uh, if you if you ever do come up with you know on an album, if you ever think of doing a cover, you should do a cover of Alice in Chains. You guys, yeah. I think John, I think John could hit his voice range. Yeah. John yeah. could do him, yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. And they have great songs. They have great harmonies. Gary Control. Gary Control has a, a a lot to do with the harmony vocals. It, it just sounds like Allison Chains. <laughs> you know what I, I mean? I agree. I agree. Jerry Cantrell is like the Michael Anthony of Allison Chains. Yeah. I mean, he's that integral to the sound. I mean, when you yep. think of Van Halen, you think of those high harmonies and you think of that bass line. With Alice in Chains, I mean, it's equal parts Lane, it's equal parts Jerry vocally, you know? Yeah. I mean, they, they, they created their niche. They, they, that's what happens when a band uh, kind of like does their own thing and they create their niche. It's like nobody can touch you. You know, yep. Metallica is like that. Flair is like that. Megadeth. You know, Absolutely. these bands created their niche. And it's like you can't touch that. You know what I mean? It's like Absolutely. it's a great thing when a band create their own uh, own voice and their own voice in their genre. And, and these bands have done in and, and um, Chain is a great um, example of creating your own in, in the genre of, of music. And it's like an incredible thing, really. Absolutely. Anyway, Phil, um, before we end the show, I want to ask one final question. Why don't you tell us a little bit about the guitars that you build? Oh, yeah. Well, I, I use Warmoth bodies and um, music craft necks, and I, I do all my fret work uh, if, if it needs it. And um, I use Seymour Duncan pickups. And I, I just, if the COVID happened, and it was like, man, you know what? I got some time. Uh, I've never built a guitar before, so you know what I mean. I, I might as well like get into this. And, and, and I, I built my my star guitar because Eddie Van Halen had a star guitar, you know. And, and then I built a super strat, but I wanted to do it different because everybody one pickup with Eddie Van Halen, so I just did uh, two uh, two humbucking pickups and. Um, I love building guitars, and, and, and it's a good thing because you get to know what a guitar, uh, you know, your instrument is, is made out of and how it works. And, you know, I, I learned how to solder, how to pick up, how to, how to install um, all the components. And, um, and, and I'm learning all the time, you know. Um, I, Carl Sandoval, uh, I told him my name is Sandoval. If I, if I, can I use that name? Because you, your name sounds well. You, you built a, uh, you know, Randy Rhodes Pokemon Flying B. And I'm going, I, I don't want to, you know, step on your toes. He goes, your last name is Sandoval. You can use your name. 
<laughs> so I said, okay, so we both have two Sandoval guitar builders. <laughs> but awesome. um, he doesn't he doesn't put his Sandoval on his headstock, so I might have to start doing that. But um, it's something that uh, I, I love doing. And that's the thing about Eddie Van Halen. <laughs> he built that guitar. Yeah, yeah. you're right. So, I, I've actually had the pleasure of meeting a guy who worked for Kramer and then would later build his guitar as Paul Unkert. He's also known as the guitar guy. Yeah. Out here in New Jersey, he has a little store in down in Toms River, New Jersey. He's called the Guitar Guy, and it's just awesome. I mean, he has all the parts that he was using to build the, the spec Eddie guitars that Eddie would have him make at the oh, Kramer amazing. plant. Like, amazing. I guess it was around Van Halen to Women and Children First, around that period. And, I mean, he's still – it's just really cool. He can make an exact Eddie replica, you know. Wow, that is amazing. Yeah, so I, I could totally relate to that. I mean, it's awesome. But Listen, Phil, I mean, I'm so glad to have you on the show. What's that, Jay? No, I've seen the work on Facebook, and it's just amazing. Like, you're really masterful. Like, I know, you're, you know, you say you're learning every every day, but, like, yeah, you do some great work. So if, if you haven't checked out Phil, check him out on Facebook. Because Absolutely. Thank you. Yeah, no problem, man. Yeah, and like I said, we I was saying we're so happy to have had you on the show. Um, everybody, we want you to pick up the new Armored Saint album, Punching the Sky. And Phil, I mean, we can't thank you enough. I mean, it's an honor. Thank you so much, guys. Uh, and you guys are awesome, and it's a great show. I recommend it to any everybody. You know, sports and metal, yeah. Oh yeah. Anyway, thanks again, Phil. Everybody out there, rock on. Peace thank out. You. Peace right. out. Thank you, man. And that's our show. Tune in next time for more Sports and Metal. With Jason Voorhees and Aaron Savage. Got something to say? Hit us up at sportsandmetal0423 at yahoo.com or on Twitter at sportsandmetal. Hey, I'm Kevin. Hey, I'm Johnny Yee. Tune into our radio show, Philly Rock Live. We play the classic hard rock and metal from the 70s and 80s. We grew up on. We play the new music those same bands are making today. And we play new music from around the world. Not to mention the great bands from our own local scene. You will not hear a mix of music like this anywhere else. If it kicks ass, we, we play, play it. Philly Rock Live. Thursday, 7 to 9 p.m. Philly time. On phillyrockradio.com. Listen online with your mobile device or even your smart speaker.